from One World Trade Center in Manhattan, overlooking dozens of golf courses that will never have us as members, this is the Golf Digest Podcast. Welcome back to the Golf Digest Podcast. This is Sam Weinman. You know, I was thinking about this uh, a year ago when we were two weeks out from heading into the U.S. Open. A lot of the conversation in golf was about the guy who won the Masters and his chances uh, of winning the U.S. Open. This, it was the same guy. It was Jordan Spieth who had had this record-setting performance at the Masters, and everyone was talking about whether he was the next big thing in golf. It feels like now, two weeks out or so from the 2016 U.S. Open, so many of the storylines in golf have to do with things other than the guys who are playing the best. Uh, and one of those topics is Jordan Spieth. Joining me is Golf World Editor-in-Chief Jaime Diaz, Golf Digest Senior Writer as well. Um, Jaime, we're, we're at a point right now where Jordan Spieth has one win on the year, but the big story, of course, is he had this uh, epic meltdown at the Masters, and he missed the cut at the players, and then seemed to have righted the ship at the Byron Nelson last week and then imploded on Sunday. So the big question is, what's going on with Jordan Spieth? Well, I think Jordan Spieth, uh, in a way, was a little bit cursed by Hawaii and the runaway victory there. And I think his expectation level within himself rose to the point where he lost his patience. And I think one of his greatest strengths is just his ability to be in the moment mentally at the, at, at the hardest uh, times of a round and, and keep himself together. I think he was really good at, you know, minimizing damage when he didn't play well because he didn't always, uh, even last year, play, you know, sort of uh, pure tee to green golf. He always was making the most out of sometimes a little, and that's his greatest strength. So when he's a little off now, it appears that he doesn't have that resiliency and patience that he had last year because he has higher expectations for his performance. Uh, not just in terms of score, but in terms of how he hits the ball. So he's a bit of a prisoner of his own perfectionism right now, uh, and that's my opinion. I don't think it's permanent. I think he's really a smart guy, and he'll figure this out. It, it, this is not a new phenomenon. It happens all the time where a a golfer reaches a certain level, and then the expectations around him rise. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times what happens is because of that, it's difficult to perform, and they, they go away. I mean, there's a list of guys. The guy who won – this week is a perfect example, Sergio Garcia, where he was the next big thing in golf, and then obviously um, things didn't pan out or haven't panned out as well. The exception with Spieth was uh, he's just mentally tougher mm-hmm. and seems more balanced yeah. than a lot of those guys. So I guess it's proof, though, that even he's vulnerable to sort of the own the hype machine, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, and you know the thing was he did get himself together for the Masters. I mean, he played beautifully at the Masters. He had a five-stroke lead with five with nine holes to go. Not many. Even winners have had five-stroke leads with nine holes to go. That's considered kind of a blowout. So you got to say his performance, he, he got himself there. Whether, you know, February and March were not perfect golf, he prepared himself, as Tiger used to do so well for the major, and performed uh, until Sunday on the 12th hole. And I'm sure he's haunted by that right now, not so much because of the disappointment, because uh, I think he'll get over that. I think more of the frustration and the... Um, you know, frankly, the anger at himself for not being able to get his mind right when he needed to. Uh, he knew he was nervous on 12T. He just bogeyed 10 and 11. Uh, and that was not the time, you know, to just make a, a, a bigger mental error by allowing himself to hit it at the pin, by allowing himself to make a golf swing that he knew he wasn't totally 
sure of at that time, but he sort of dared himself to hit a cut in there when he should have just hit a draw over the bunker. So I think that mental error, especially for the smart guys, Nicholas used to say this, it's the most infuriating. Mm -hmm. You can make a, a physical error and you can live with that because, you know, nobody's a machine. But mentally, they feel like, hey, you know, I've got this game figured out and my strength is I don't, I don't give it away. And Jordan gave it away, mm -hmm. and I think I just, for a guy like him, hurts even more. Do you think he faces a tougher time at Oakmont <laughs> Uh, because of the difficulty he's had the last, say, six weeks, or the whole season, really, um, or would he face a, diff a, more, a more difficult time if he won the Masters and he would mm -hmm. face these unreasonable expectations about being the guy every week he comes? Yeah, I don't know if there's enough time for him to actually get under the radar, but if that were possible, I think that would be actually an advantage. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, he's been, he was under the radar a little at the players. You know, it was like, yeah, he's going to be coming back from the Masters and uh, – it's going to be it's going to be hard, and and I think it relaxed him uh, to just go ahead and play. Although he didn't play that well, he probably put too much pressure on himself. But I think any time that he's not the favorite, uh, that that's an advantage for him because he's already a guy who revs very high. You know, he's always on his own back. He's always pushing himself extremely hard, and so he's also a people pleaser. So when he feels like people are counting on him, and all his fans are, and there's all this expectation from the golf community and his sponsors and everything else. That can be overwhelming. Uh, he, again, you mentioned you know he's balanced enough to handle it all, but I think sometimes he even takes on too much. So I think he, this is a you know hate to say <laughs> such a trite uh, phrase a learning process mm -hmm. even for him. I mean he's 23, but he's uh, excuse me 22, but he's uh, he's old in golf years, and you feel and you feel like he's a guy who has kind of figured it out mentally, but he's still learning too. And and I think. You know, the modern golf environment is one of constant scrutiny and constant pressure, more so than it ever used to be. And I think, as we've seen with the turnover among the number ones, it, it's it's uh, it's something that not everybody's figured out how to how to handle. I mean, Tiger did it uh, number one on talent, but also on a really like ironclad mindset that never let anybody in. And it's not the nature of these guys today, which we, we're thankful for, but I wonder if you are susceptible to a lot of opinion and a lot of expectation, uh, it's it's all that much harder to perform. I mean, not to sound like an old man, I mean, but you, you would think that you could never face the amount of hype, or you could never equal the amount of hype that Tiger faced when he first came on the scene, but actually it's greater now. I mean, there's just, there's more media, the social media cycle is so rapid that there's something to be said that, that what Jordan Spieth or Rory McIlroy faces now is three times more intense than what Tiger faced at the height of his sort of the height of his powers. In some ways, and certainly in electronically, put yeah. it that way. When Tiger was on the scene and the Tiger mania would engulf him on in person among the galleries, that was more than I've seen. Sure. But in terms of the constant sort of the the churn of of. Uh, you know everything that you are subject to when you have your open, you start your phone. The other thing too is Tiger set a precedent that has now become, if not pure expectation, a, a kind of a model that guys are supposed to follow. And I think that is unrealistic. Mm -hmm. I think we're starting to realize how great Tiger really was. And as good as Rory and Jordan and Jason are, they haven't demonstrated their Tiger. And so if they're being held to Tiger-like standards, that just Sure. Another burden. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you wrote a piece a couple years ago about that, about um, in relation to Jack, that you sort of needed to see Tiger struggle to really appreciate Jack's mm -hmm. record. And we're almost, well, not almost, we are seeing it with this crop of guys. All these sort of guys who've had these f flashes of brilliance, 
um, underscores how remarkable the sustaining it was. The sustaining of the yeah. Tiger has because I mean, of course, he had dips. Even mm-hmm. not, I'm talking about pre 2009, he had dips, but they were nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, he always won in in those stretches and and contended often. So it's it's ridiculous. It's, let's talk about Tiger for a second because he wrote a really good piece for Golf World uh, this week about the whole display last week at. Um, the Tiger Woods uh, Media Day, the um, Quicken Loans <laughs> Media Day. I wrote about it as well. And it, it was one of those things I remember. We're watching it on the TV. It's like, oh, let's see how we hit these balls. Like, yeah. you, you don't think of it as a story. It, it's, there's no way this becomes a story. And it becomes this big deal because, of course, it's Tiger Woods. But also because he hits three balls. It's 100 yards long. And he hits all three in the water. And I thought you were right, right on. Like, you shouldn't read too much into it. But how do you not read too much into mm-hmm. it based on the fact that it was 100 yards? So is that indication that that he's miles removed from returning to golf in your mind yeah uh it was a moment i just i'm kind of reacting i don't know viscerally or intuitively that 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 meant something on some level i don't know exactly what he was feeling but i think the context that i take from it which i haven't gotten over yet is the chip yips that that happened last year at phoenix i mean that was shocking and to know tiger woods had that capacity to be that helpless um to me, opened up a whole new area of how vulnerable and fragile he might actually mm-hmm. be. And again, it's speculation, and uh, you know, he's a, no one's tougher than Tiger. But I think there is a moment in golf sometimes when you are actually helpless if things aren't, you know, mm-hmm. in line. And uh, and it appears he reached that point. And then the fact that okay, you can come back from it, that 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 had happened. It's kind of always going to be in there sure. to me. So even when he got over, I know he hasn't put his game on display very much the last you know three months. He had you know the the video of the one swing, right? Then he went to Sage Valley. Then he went to but all very tightly controlled. Tightly moment. controlled. Yeah. This was actually live television, and even though it was a hundred yard shot from a good lie, it was like this is a test. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I was thinking, I think he's feeling pressure, and will he respond? You know, let's just see. And then you know, again. It, the fact that it went in the water, they weren't there. They weren't shanks. They weren't total chunks. Right. But they didn't hit the green from 100 yards, three in a <laughs> right, row. Right. Greatest player ever, arguably. And and you know, to me, it, it it yeah, he was he was saying, oh, I'm so stiff. And I'm thinking, you know what? I think you got performance anxiety or sure. something akin to that. From a, from a golf perspective, it was like you know he's had problems with the driver um, for a while now, mm-hmm. where he's struggled to figure out way. But I think you're right that. Anytime sort of real acute short game problems mm-hmm. enter your consciousness, it's there's no hiding from that. Like that's right. got to be a whole new level of helplessness because there's – go ahead. What? No, it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's humiliating. That's the hard thing that a pro has to deal with. I mean you can hit a drive crooked, and that can be humiliating too after a while, but a chip is, you know, a simple shot mm-hmm. apparently. It's all right in front of you on a very kind of, you know, uh, concentrated stage. And, you know, if you miss hit a chip at a very slow – swing speed you know it might go two feet or if you shank it it goes dead right i mean you know or, or you scull it it goes 40 yards past the pin so you know the the magnitude of the error relative to the shot is mm-hmm. much greater sure and and i think that there's a fear there of embarrassment right. and, and that's and that's where the yips come from i mean you tell you hear about driver yips but the real yips as far as the ones that people consider to be sort of theatrical almost mm-hmm. are i mean what Ernie Els did at the Masters, and now, you know, he did putt well the next couple of tournaments, but I'll never look at Ernie Els again and not think that that's possible it, again. It, yeah. Right. The mm-hmm. fact that he putted well underscores how mm-hmm. how confounding the yips are, right? If right. he just yeah. kind of putted 
you know, crumbly the mm-hmm. rest of the way. Like, okay, the guy's kind of lost his ability to mm-hmm. putt. But the fact that he, he said that day, uh, they're talking about Ernie Ellis, he could make 20 putts in a row, mm-hmm. th- three footers on the practice screen, right. no problem whatsoever. Yeah. And for some reason, he couldn't. And, and to use your word, underscore, I mean, it, it underscores how difficult golf is, competitive sure. golf is. It's not, the, it's not the coordination factor and the skill factor. It's the mental factor that can undermine all of that, you know. So Tiger Woods obviously faces um, one type of struggle. A lot of it's physical and maybe a little bit mentally. Um, Phil Mickelson, um, a contemporary of Tiger's, has been in the news recently for different types of struggles. Namely, he um, was named in this case, brought against uh, a gambler, Billy Walters, and uh, an executive at Dean Foods for insider trading. Phil was not uh, criminally charged, but he was named as a relief defendant and has to pay his money back. So a lot going on with Phil. It's a topic sentence there. Um, where does that leave his season? I mean, this is mm-hmm. presumably not a story that's going away anytime soon. So where do you think that puts him in, in the context of trying to be a competitive golfer? You know, it's these guys are special in terms of the way they deal with adversity a lot of times. They, they, they can compartmentalize. I mean, I remember when Pete Rose was going through mm-hmm. all kinds of scrutiny, going through a divorce, and, and he was still, like, breaking the, mm-hmm. the hits record. And, you know, sometimes the golf course can be the refuge. But I, I, I can't believe that he hasn't been feeling a lot of pressure mm-hmm. and feeling a lot of worry about how this was going to turn out and down the line how it's going to affect his reputation. Mm-hmm. So I think he's carrying a burden around. Now, again, uh, he's had... Phil's had, you know, personal struggles in the past. Uh, he's had very, you know, tough uh, health scares with his with his wife and his and his mom, and he's played really well in those cases. So sometimes there can be sort of an inverse effect where uh, it's the place where you can let it all go. And so he's played pretty well. But I will say, you know, he hasn't played that well on Sundays, and Phil's been a great closer over his career. I mean, you know, 42 victories. He knows how to get it done on Sunday, and he has, he's been a little fragile on Sundays. He's been a little fragile with the, sh- with the putter, short putting. Uh, I'm not saying that that's due to this case or sure. the aftermath of it, but he doesn't seem quite as mentally switched on or, or as tough as he has been. So, you know, he's going to go to Oakmont, and Oakmont is, you know, that's his dream victory, obviously. Sure. I mean, he's 46, and he's finished second in the Open six times, and the Open would complete the Grand Slam. The Open would be everything. It would crown crowning glory. And... Uh, you know, it's not really probably his best kind of U.S. Open golf course. Right. It's quite narrow. The rough's really thick there. He complained about it last time right. being too thick. Being dangerous, right. So I don't think it really bodes well for Phil being like a favorite at the Open. But, you know, he's one of those special athletes that does, you know, what he did at Muirfield was like, how, where did that come from? So he's capable. But I, I've got to feel like this has been a weight. I don't know if the weight's been released, even sure. though it's resolved. I think in a way the aftermath might be even – uh, a greater burden, especially if, you know, sponsors or even the public starts to criticize it. Right. I mean, it's one other thing is um, he did release a statement on Friday about this or his mm-hmm. team released a statement saying that he feels vindicated and all that. Is is what he has said sufficient or is this going to be um, – does he need to say more? Well, he may need to say more because because this case was high profile. There was a lot of interest in it. I mean, his I'm sure that's why the U.S. attorney and, and you know, the SEC – Sure. In a way, liked having Phil connected to it because it brought attention to insider trading, even though he wasn't complicit. I learned more about it in the last yeah. week than I knew. And so, so there's been a big, an- yes. there's been a big analysis of the case itself and why Phil didn't get criminally charged. And clearly, there's a narrative that said he kind of skated, mm-hmm. not on a technicality, but on a, an earlier case that set a new precedent. Right. He would have been prosecuted probably under the uh, 
the old yeah. uh, way that, the, that they interpreted insider trading. Right. Basically, the new rule or the new ruling says that if you benefited from insider trading, which is believed to be the case, which is what the U.S. attorney is saying, mm-hmm. if you benefited from it, that's not enough to be criminally charged unless you can prove that you knew the information you were getting was And you knew the person who was right. tipping you off was benefiting exactly. from it. Exactly. So, and the original, in fact, actually the original tipster, which right. would have been the guy from Thomas Dean Foods. Davis, yeah, right. yeah, not, yeah, not Billy Walters. Right. So, yeah, Phil, but there's good reasons for that rule, but it still appears like everything that Phil did in terms of the sequence of events would, yeah. would, was pretty close to what other people who have been charged with insider sure. trading do. Sure, mm-hmm. of course. So anyway, uh, it's very interesting to follow. I mean, there's so many interesting storylines in golf. Again, the interesting thing is that it's just not the typical season. And then the other big story on Sunday, Rory McIlroy won his home open, the, uh, mm-hmm. the Irish Open, which he was the, the host of and benefited his foundation. Rory, another guy who has had sort of, um, you know, moments of absolute brilliance this year, and then he's, you know, had these uh, head scratching nine holes or nine or rounds this year. So, uh, what does Rory's win portend for the rest of the season, if anything? Well, Rory's a hard guy to read. I mean, you know, I think when he again he followed Tiger most directly, and he's got four majors, which is more than anybody else. So he's the closest to Tiger in terms of following, you know, that model, so to speak. But in many ways, he's very, very different from Tiger. Tiger was a, a grinder, and he sustained. And when he didn't play well, he found a way to get out, to get something out of mm-hmm. it, much like Spieth does. Spieth doesn't have a Tiger's talent, but they share that ability to make the most of what do they have that day. And I think Rory's weakness is that he's he's not a good enough putter usually to make up for his poor uh, ball sure. striking days. He doesn't say par very well when he misses greens, and he does seem like almost in his own mind he's a streak player. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I'm just—I don't have it right now, and you know, I'm just mm-hmm. not—I'm just not going to try to make it happen. I, I'm going—I mean, I'm sure he, in his mind, he's—he's he's saying, "Let's make it happen," but it doesn't seem like constitutionally he's really built that way. He—he—he right. uh, he, he, he loves writing the brilliance, and the brilliance is so great. And when it's not there, you know, he, I think he is of the mind, and it'll come again. Right. And so we—he's hard to predict. I think you know maybe that that pattern would change a little if he got better as a putter. Because I think he'd start taking pride or at least joy in, you know, cheating the golf course, sure. so to speak. You know, you know, hitting 11 greens and shooting 67. Manufacturing a score. Yeah, that's a, that's a new pride. I think he almost looks at that as a lower form of golf. He's more of the artist who, like, boy, I love hitting it good. And when I do that, I deserve a good score. And when I don't hit it good, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you're, right. you don't, you're, you're, you're not supposed to shoot a good score. Uh, whereas Jordan and Tiger wanted every prom on the table you know they, they they took everything they could possibly get right i mean the knock against rory if you even want to call it a knock was the first three majors he won were running relative yes. or won in relative runaway fashion mm-hmm. and then uh if you recall the pga he won at valhalla was pretty tight remember he was yes. trailing on the back nine and yeah. came back so in a lot of eyes like he had turned a bit of a corner there yeah. because he had shown some mm-hmm. some back nine grit and mm-hmm. you kind of want to see that um, not just on Sunday, but also right. on Friday when he's not feeling it. And so far, he hasn't proven he can do that. On a well, I think, too, the conditions, uh, not not to make everything about, you know, uh, you know the, go- the golf course, but Rory has won when the courses have been relatively soft, even mm-hmm. for majors. And that's when he can just, you know, hit it long, and the ball won't roll in the rough uh, with, with a little bit more, you know, fearlessness. And then he can shoot at pins without the fear of maybe – Sure. Ball bouncing over and getting short-sided. On fast, firm golf courses, he gets punished for what, in his mind, are probably good shots. And I don't think he likes, you know, the unfairness of that, so sure. to speak, quote-unquote. Uh, and, and so he's got to 
you know, he knows that that's his next step to being a truly complete golfer is winning on a fast and firm major. Uh, but he doesn't quite have the, the tools, the toolbox that that Tiger had or even that Jordan has, even though Roy's a lot longer. Short game and putting becomes so important sure. on, on fast and firm golf courses. Right. When he plays Oakmont, basically saying is he's going to hit a, a nine iron or a green or an eight iron into a green and it's going to, you know, it's going to roll 30 feet and he's got to make those putts or at least make the six. Right. For, or not par. three putt or, exactly. and not and not right. leave with a frustrating, you know, that's that's the phrase that stuck in my mind about Rory recently is soft bogeys. Mm-hmm. He makes soft bogeys and they kill you. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you can make three of those in a tournament and you can't win the tournament anymore. Right. Uh, no matter how good you hit it. So that's where, you know, he's got to hold on to the, you know, really tight to the controls and, and not let it slip. And I, I don't think that something that he kind of trained himself as a young guy. He was so much better than everybody he grew up playing against. And he just beat him with, with this brilliance. Sure. And, and when he wasn't on, it was okay, I'll get him later. But at this level, when you're not on, you can't slip too far. And he'll, you know, he'll shoot the 74 right. that, that Tiger would have turned into a 70. And that's what keeps him from winning. Sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting uh, news came out today, speaking of Rory, in which he says um, he's going to take a hard look at the uh, situation in Brazil with the Olympics. It's just uh, <laughs> one piece of uh, unfortunate news after another when it comes to the golf's uh, return to the Olympics. Uh, the Zika virus, you know, he's he's engaged. Sure, uh, no, he's... He made reference to them wanting to start a family. Um, you know, a lot of guys in our own company are on the same thing or don't want to go to the Olympics for that, for that very reason. So, um, you know, just reading that headline that, that he might miss the Olympics, what does that say about this competition, you know, two months out or three months out? Well, it's a shame because I think Rory had the Olympic spirit. He's one mm-hmm. of the guys, like a lot of the golfers we've talked to and meet, they're huge sports fans and huge admirers of the world's greatest athletes, and they want to be in that community. They want to be meeting these guys and sharing, you know, what's so great about them. And also it kind of validates them as golfers. Sure. You know, it's like, hey, the golfers never used to get, a, you know, invited to these mm-hmm. great athlete parties. And, and here, <laughs> I, here I am, you know. Right. And, and so there's a validation there. And, and Rory definitely loves, you know, sports. So I think the Olympic experience was something he was really looking forward to. And I think more than it, even winning the gold medal certainly is whatever he wants. But if, short of winning the gold medal, the greatest thing about this is just going out there and mixing with the world's greatest sure. athletes and being part of the, the spectacle. Uh, it's an experience they, they know is, has been rare for golfers and they were going to appreciate it. But this thing, Zika, is, it just hits home in such a... Yeah, such a you know kind of elemental way. I mean, people want to have children, yeah. you know, and you just can't mess with that. So I say you can't. I mean, there's obviously it's not a, you know, the odds are probably still quite remote, but just the fear of it. Yeah. And and it, I, I feel like it's too bad because he is a spokesperson for golf, and he had the right Olympic spirit. And yet, he, I mean, Adam Scott was never really on board. Right. But, but Rory has been on board, and and for him to pull out that could. That's, that could that could sour things. Yeah, that yeah. that's you can get over mm-hmm. Carl Schwartzel mm-hmm. and Louis Tazen and Adam Scott, but mm-hmm. but uh, but Rory not being there is suddenly um, yeah. that's a big void mm-hmm. that you're feeling. Well, I mean, you know, who, far be it from any of us to pass judgment on someone who doesn't want to mess with their family life, but it's 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 tough. So, um, as far as we know, Jason Day is still pushing forward um, with going Olympics. It's interesting we've had this whole discussion about all these guys in golf, and here's a guy who's you know playing dominant golf, wins the players in resounding fashion, number one player in the world. Uh, and you had talked before about how, you know, Spieth can manufacture rounds but doesn't hit it as far as Rory. Rory hits it better than anyone but doesn't necessarily putt as well. Well, Jason Day arguably does both really well, putts mm-hmm. out of his mind, hits mm-hmm. it 
a mile. So wh why? I mean, with no disrespect to Jason Day, who's fantastic, why isn't? Why aren't we more excited about Jason Day? Well, I think we we may be getting there, yeah. but I think his past was one of sort of this low grade disappointment mm -hmm. because I mean he was good, but he wouldn't close on Sundays. You mm -hmm. know, he's like one for seven in his first uh, uh, first times he he for seven times he led after fifty four holes. You know, that there was a sense of uh, this guy is a, a little fragile, uh, and you know one of the things we want in our number ones and especially since Tiger is this toughness and this you know indomitable feeling that you know I can beat the pressure I can I can handle it all and and Jason didn't give that vibe off now he's he's doing sure. that uh, I, I also think that you know sort of verbally not that he's he's a bright kid and, he, and he's and he's very uh, amiable but he's kind of shy publicly mm -hmm. and he hasn't he doesn't love the microphone and he doesn't speak quite as eloquently or with full thoughts and and developed ideas like like Jordan does mm -hmm. Um, Rory also has kind of an almost an entertainer's kind of uh, uh, sort of personality in front of a mm -hmm. microphone. So those two guys are both more engaging, at sure. least publicly. I think we'll we'll learn to like Jason Day. I, one thing I've heard a lot uh, about Jason is at close quarters, he's one of the most comfortable superstars in golf to be around. Mm -hmm. He just has no airs, and he's friendly and amiable and kind, and uh, you know, easy to be with in terms of. Not just being himself the center of attention, but asking questions sure. about others. And not that Rory and, and Jordan don't, they both have that quality, but Jason actually has it in this kind of everyman way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think, you know, with time, and you, you will, we, if he wins a couple more majors and, and continues this, this uh, long streak of excellence, you know, he's going to become interesting to us. We're going to look deeper. But at the moment, you know, the incentive to learn all about him hasn't been there. Uh, I think. Very quickly, it'll happen. The Players' Championship to me was was a big turning point. Sure, you know, because that was not a golf course that you know he looked like he uh, would be able to adapt his game to, and yet he did quite easily. It, it shows the depth of his ability. Does he have any holes in his game? Uh, you know, not not big ones. Right. I think he's actually got fewer holes in his game than either Jordan or Rory. Sure, uh, he's more complete. Uh, I you know he he drives the ball almost as well as Rory. Um, his iron game is. I wouldn't say it's a weakness, but he's not a real precise iron player, but he hits such short clubs into the greens that he hits it close a lot anyway. Um, and his short game is not as uh, sort of virtuosic as, as, as Jordan's. He doesn't have as many shots, but he's really solid with it and very consistent. He uses that kind of no, no hand action motion like Steve Stricker does, and it's real consistent. Mm -hmm. He doesn't miss hit chips. He hits it, you know, always a good shot. Not necessarily a brilliant shot, but always a good shot. And he doesn't, and he's, and he practices really hard, really hard work ethic. So, any weaknesses he has, he kind of be, just beats him out of his game. And I think that's the accumulation of all that dedication, which has come especially more intensely the last couple of years, is paying these dividends in this completeness. Mm -hmm. Let's um, real quick because he did win. We mentioned him earlier on the broadcast. Was Sergio Garcia? Mm -hmm. So wins Byron Nelson. I think it was. Yeah, I remember when he was 19 when he first turned pro. I think his first. His first tournament as a pro, he shot 62 at Byron Nelson. That was, whatever, 17 years ago. Ridiculous. Um, 36 now, wins yesterday. Benefits a little bit from Brooks Kepka making a mistake in the playoff. But, you know, where's Sergio? That's sort of uh, John Stregge on our staff wrote about how, you know, this win was a reminder of, like, a lot of unfulfilled promise. And yet he's had a pretty good career, and he still could win a major. I mean, would you be surprised if he contends in any major? No, I wouldn't be yeah. uh, because I think he's – 
very admirably conquered the biggest problem he had, which was putting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's such a cliche to say, you know, it's all about putting. But in, in Sergio's case, he was really a poor putter and a very um, erratic short putter, especially under mm-hmm. pressure. and cost him a lot of, a lot of victories mm-hmm. and a lot of bad Sunday performances and a lot of majors that, you know, could have been won. And I think he looked like a very discouraged player to me for a long time. I, I thought his heart was not in it. Uh, to the extent that it needed to be to be a champion. And he, he seemed resigned a lot of times, mm-hmm. like, you know, I just don't quite have it. Right. And uh, didn't love it. And, I mean, he was a prodigy, and he was really good, and he, and he, and he has retained that ball-striking uh, skill. It, it's almost second nature to, for him to hit a solid, you know, iron shot or, or a good drive. Um, but he's, he's worked hard at becoming a good putter. He's, he's altered his, his technique, and, you know, he's really improved. And it's made all the difference. It makes, you know, again, those putts, especially on Sunday when you miss a six-footer or an eight-footer, it's disheartening. Mm-hmm. You go to the next tee different. I mean, you can be resilient for a while, but after a while it just wears you down. You have to make those. And, uh, you know, even Rory, when he doesn't make them, it keeps him from winning. And, and Sergio's starting to make them. And to me, now he's a threat again. Who's the best example of a player who became a great putter? I mean, again, on the PGA Tour level, they're all great mm. putters. But who's a guy who, became a, who went from being an average putter to a superior one? Well, you know, it's, it's almost uh, he's, he's such an aberration that it's almost not a great example. But Longer, mm-hmm. you know, Longer had the yips four times in his career, and even as a young man, even when he was, you know, he turned pro at 15. I mean, it, it's right. amazing. This guy, talk about a guy with a fast motor for right. competition. He's incredible. Uh, but I mean, he fought it, and he he had abysmal moments where he was four putting from five feet. I mean, you know, it's like Ernie Els moment at, at, at the Masters. He was having that as a young man. And just force of will and thinking about technique and figuring it out with this, you know, very logical. I always think of Longer and, and Jack is very similar, even though, you know, Jack had this much more uh, athletic and, and powerful uh, physique. But they, they don't make mistakes and, they, and they, they plot their way around the golf course. And if they have a weakness, you know, they find a way to make it idiosyncratically mm-hmm. something that works. And, and that's what Longer did. And, you know, obviously he's got the long putter now and it's held it half an inch from his shirt or whatever. Right. Uh, it, but, you know, to me the theme remains the same. He, found, he finds found his own way. He finds his way. And, and so he made himself a great putter just because he wants to win so bad that he had to find a way. Right. You know, uh, there have been others who have um, just through technique changes gotten better as putters because they learned – Maybe they, they had some habits that they, they thought, gee, that, that's me. But they, they found better ways to putt through maybe uh, going to a putting studio or having a putting coach. Uh, but it, it's, it's rare to see a guy who wasn't a good putter become a great putter. Sure. Uh, usually if they, if they can become a middling putter, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good uh, improvement. Usually the best putting most pros do is in their 20s. Uh-huh. You know, and they'll talk about it later and go, yeah, but I wish I could hit the ball like I – did now when I was 22, I would have won, you know, right. I would have won all the time. But, uh, you know, putting is, it's the great, you know, it's the great unknown still. And, and Jordan Speed's been the greatest. I mean, uh, the, to me, Steph Curry and, uh, and Jordan being in the same era, it's almost like they've expanded the games, their sure. respective games in the same way. But Jordan's not making every putt now, too. Golf is way more, uh, I would say random, but almost arbitrary. Sure. In terms of how you putt week to week. Sure. I mean, uh, it's like you had written about this, too, that a lot of what Jordan 
what Jordan does is the most difficult to sustain over a period of time because he, you yeah. know, he's such an intense competitor mm -hmm. and great putting. You know, doesn't last for anyone, really. I mean, it's just so difficult. You know that that erosion. Like Watson was one of the greatest putters I ever saw, but he always left himself a lot of four and five footers, mm -hmm. comebackers, and then he became one of the worst putters. Right. And it was probably you know the strain of having to keep making those. And Arnold Palmer also was a very aggressive putter, and eventually he became a poor putter. Um, and Jack was always a really good putter and a great clutch putter. But he was never considered super brilliant. Right. But he always, or most of the time, left himself short tap-ins. So he never had that wear and tear on his nerves that some of these other guys did. And he never, he never got yippy. Right. Um, I mean, that's maybe a simplistic, uh, you know, sort of uh, reasoning. But to me, uh, the guy who has to keep making a lot of short putts, that will wear you out. It's interesting because you would think it would be the opposite. You'd think a guy who has to make a lot of short putts is can build off of that and has that sort of foundation of experience but you're saying that it actually just well, you know, it maybe it depends on the yeah. kind of mind you have but i think at some point you start going god these things you know it's such a small margin of error i'm gonna mm -hmm. miss it and if yeah. i miss it i'm gonna feel terrible and i and it's a stroke gone you can't make it right. up and you start realizing how much rides on these short putts sure. and it just you know it gets you crazy it's like you're given this lifetime allotment of putts you can make and perhaps once you sort of spend it you're done perhaps. i think it's yeah. just about the mindset you can't make it mean too much and but short putts when you're trying to win tournaments you start looking at you know the stats every week and the guys you know from inside 10 feet 59 for 60 mm -hmm. that's common we see on television mm -hmm. so if you're over a four foot and you go you know if i miss this one that means i can only miss one more this week <laughs> you know it, your mind starts doing all kinds of things yeah. that make the pressure increase do you think the just one more question do you think the putting the way we measure putting now is 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 it as 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 good as we can do in strokes game putting? I mean, is that as good a measurement as you can do in terms of how good a guy a putter is? They may be able to refine it, but I would say it's the best stat now. Sure. It's amazing that you know you can actually comparatively say this is what the average pro does from this distance and know that nobody used to know that. Sure. I mean, Johnny Miller used to say this looks like an easy putt. It's a twelve footer. Well, you know, statistically, it's three out of three out of ten. Sure. So it's not that easy. I don't care even if it's straight 12-footer. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, the stats probably will, will get more refined as we go along. But we've learned more about putting in the last two years than we've learned about any other area of the game. Mm -hmm. Jaime Diaz, really good stuff. Appreciate you uh, joining us this week. Thanks, Sam. Pleasure. Thanks to Jaime Diaz for joining us on this week's Golf Digest podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a rating when you can. And please check back next week to see who our guests are.